You're now listening to Sound Talent Media. Check out more shows at SoundTalentMedia.com. Hey, what's up, everyone? I'm Matt Migaki, the vocalist of Cryptopsy and the host of the Vox and Hops Metal Podcast, where I sit down with fellow metal musicians. We talk all about their lives and music while sharing killer craft beers. If you've ever wanted to sneak backstage and share a beer with one of your favorite musicians, well, Vox and Hops is the podcast for you. This week on the podcast, I dropped an amazing episode with Dom Grimao of The Last Felony, Ion Dissonance, and Cryptopsy. There is this episode and over 450 other ones to help you enjoy life, metal, and craft beer. So what are you waiting for? It's time to become a Vox and Hops head. Cheers! Episode number 93 of that one time on tour is brought to you by the band Fake Legacy. Fake Legacy is a three-piece punk band from Karlstad, Sweden. Influenced by bands like Descendants, Pennywise, No Effects, Melancholin, and Bad Religion, Fake Legacy just released their EP, A Beloved Masquerade, on their own label, Hellish Time Publishing, available on vinyl and streaming through Spotify. For more information on the band, you can check out fakelegacy.bigcartel.com and facebook.com forward slash fake legacy. Now here it is, their new single, Time and Tide. They say our wounds and sorrow will fade with time. 
I don't think it overstates things to say that the Beatles were the greatest gift to entertainment and culture of our time, a secular religion, if you will, with their universal appeal and demonstrable impact on people's lives. I'm Robert Rodriguez, host of Something About the Beatles. With every episode, I speak with historians, musicians, artists, and Beatle witnesses, all in the service of fresh insights into the most joyous cultural entity the world has ever known. I hope you'll join me and listen to Something About the Beatles, now on Evergreen and wherever you get your podcasts. somehow hollow and you're listening to that one time on tour Everybody out there in podcast land, what is going on? As always, this is Chris Swinney, your host for that one time on tour. If this is your first time joining me, this is my podcast where I get to sit down with somebody in or around the entertainment industry and have a stellar conversation. Thank you so much for coming last week for my conversation with my good buddy, ex-bandmate Brian Nelson, formerly of the Ataris. I had a wonderful time talking to Brian. If you haven't listened to last week's episode, go back and check it out. But this is episode number 93. And today on the program, I got to sit down with Mr. Brad Kazarin from Grade and Somehow Hollow, two wonderful, awesome victory bands I used to listen to all the time. I've seen Grade many, many times. I've never seen Somehow Hollow, but I saw Brad play with Grade when I uh, I used to spend a lot of time in Canada as I was tour manager and aux guitar player for this band. They used to be called Sewing with Nancy, and then they changed their name to The Reason. And we did shows with like Alexis on Fire and Grade and all kinds of great Canadian bands. So uh, I'm an honorary Canadian, and we talk about that quite a bit on the program today. But before I get to my conversation with Brad, I got to do some housekeeping. I do it every week. Uh, I want to give a shout out to Fake Legacy, the band that sponsored this episode. Great, great punk band out of Sweden. I love you guys so much. Thank you so much for the support. I appreciate it. Go check out Fake Legacy. It's fakelegacy.bigcartel.com or facebook.com forward slash fake legacy. Thanks a lot, guys. I also want to give a shout out to Liquid Death, spring water in a can. It's better for the environment, Uh, murder your thirst, death to plastic. Those are their mottos over at Liquid Death. So go on over to Drink Liquid Death on Facebook or liquiddeath.com. And when you go buy your water, you can get a case of water with $2 off if you put in the promo code TOTOT. 
So shout out to the guys and gals over at Liquid Death. I appreciate the support, and you guys should check it out. I am drinking one right now. It's very, very good. Reminds me of Warp Tour, water in a can. Uh, Permanence Tattoo Gallery, I tell you guys every week, it's a great, great tattoo shop here in, in central Indiana. It's in Anderson, Indiana, downtown on Meridian Street. My buddy Jacob Harrison owns the shop, and there's so many great tattooers over there. Guys and gals alike, they're awesome. So go on over to Permanence Tattoo Gallery. You can check them out online at all the, all the social platforms at Permanence Tattoo Gallery. Thank you guys so much for the support. Merge 4. Merge 4 is back. I love Merge 4. This is their second episode back. They have been a member of the TOTOT family for quite a while. I am wearing some Merge 4 socks right now. They sent my kids some socks, and my 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 son Silas really likes his gray and white socks from Walmart. So trying to get him to wear the Merge 4 socks. He's like, those are daddy socks, but uh, I'm going to get him to wear them really soon. But Merge 4 is great. They have so much cool stuff over their website, Merge4.com. You can get socks. You can get all kinds of goodies. And their socks are like, they have like, Foo Fighters socks and Sublime socks and socks that like Steve Caballero, the skater, kind of like designed and Rick Thorne socks and Wee Man socks and all these crazy things over there at Merge4.com. And I have some discount codes that I have been giving to the patrons when you sign up at Patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast. You can get one of these 50% off cards, but I thought it would be cool right now. Any of you out there, these are one-time use only cards. So you can go to Merge4.com. I'm going to give you this code right now. And it's first come, first serve. 50% off your order. 50%, five zero. So you're going to go to Merge4.com, buy some stuff. And here is the promo code. And whoever gets this first gets it. Here's the promo code. Capital M, the number four, dash, lowercase v, seven, lowercase k, four, lowercase v, lowercase h. That is M4-V7K4VH. Go for it. Go to Merge 4, order some socks, get 50% off. If anybody else needs a code, sign up on the Patreon it is patreon.com forward slash TOTOT podcast, and I will send you out a 50% off code for Merge 4. I'm also going to be doing a contest very soon to win some swag from our sponsors, so check that out. Speaking of the Patreon, I want to give a shout out to our Patreon producers, Mr. Bob Foster from Hemet, California, and Mr. John Exton from Stafford, England. Thank you guys so much for the support. Couldn't do it without you guys. I really, really appreciate it. John has a band too, and I've been, uh, I mastered one of their tracks. So you'll be hearing very soon from John's band and uh, they sponsored an episode coming up. So yeah, it's going to be really, really cool. So shout out to you guys. Thank you very much. If you guys out there have a band or a company and you want to become a sponsor, you want to sponsor an episode or two, we'd really appreciate it. It's super, super easy. Hit me up on any of the platforms out there at TOTOT podcast or you can email me, tototpodcast at gmail.com. That's the easiest way to do it. So 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 hit so hit, hit me up and we will figure it out. Okay, so segment for today. 
I haven't read any emails for a very, very long time. So this email is really cool. Uh, it actually has a top five list in it. So I'm going to read the email, give you the top five list, and then we're going to get into our episode today. So let me see here. This email is from Jared Gibson. It says, hey, Chris, longtime listener, first time contactor. <laughs> my name's my name's obviously Jared. And I'm listening all the way from the sh- from the Sunshine Coast, Queensland, Australia. Not going to lie, I'm pretty drunk right now. Awesome. <laughs> Good going, Jared. That's what I do. I get drunk and I email podcasts. That's, that's pretty cool. Just wanted to say that every Wednesday I am always so keen on your next chat. I'll even set my alarm so I can download it on my Wi-Fi in case I'm working out of phone reception that day. I know you love Paper Arms. Yes, Jared, I love Paper Arms, one of my favorite bands. And I know you love Paper Arms, and I gotta say, holy shit, when they reformed for the Strike Anywhere tour, it was the best gig I've ever witnessed. I guess what I'm getting at is I'm just a big fan, and thank you for what you're doing. And I do have a top five for you. Obviously, it's gonna be the top five Aussie bands, and mine go as such. And he says, honorable mention, Silverchair, uh, which he knows I love Silverchair. He says, if it wasn't for the for those blokes and their covers of Black Flag and Minor Threat, I wouldn't know the foundations of the bands I love. So uh, here are his top five honorable mention to Silverchair. But number five, the Bennies. I've heard a lot about the Bennies. I can't say that I'm very familiar with what they sound like, but I'm going to check them out. Uh, number four, Pagan. I'm wanting to say that sounds kind of like a metal band. I don't know why. Every time I hear Pagan, I guess I just think of metal. But uh, I'll have to check Pagan out. Number three, Frenzel Rom. I know all about Frenzel Rom. I love Frenzel Rom. Lindsay was on the program last year. Go back and check it out if you haven't already. But Frenzel Rom is awesome. Number two, he says, obviously, Paper Arms. I love Paper Arms. If you guys listen to the show, you know I've played them before. I've had Josh on the program. They are one of my favorite bands. Uh, number one, he has clowns and I've listened to some clown stuff, man. They, uh, I'm, I'm pretty sure their, their record is on fat. Maybe I'm mistaken or they were on the fat tour with the bomb pops and teenage bottle rocket. I'm not sure, but, uh, yeah, I've, I've heard like a single, I need to go check out more stuff from clowns cause, uh, I think they're a really, really good band. So, uh, here's how he ends up his, his email. Anyway, as I said, I'm drunk and I do tend to ramble when I'm drunk. Sorry for the rambling, but it's just when we get into music and the scene and all that, I get excited. Can't wait for your next episode, my dude. Jared, a.k.a. Rad Jad, all the way from Australia. Thank you, Jared, very much. I appreciate the email. And uh, I hope you're still enjoying the the episodes, man. So I'm going to go ahead and give you my top five since you gave me yours. Top five bands from Australia. And I'm, d- I'm not going to go in any order. I'm just going to give them to you. So obviously, Paper Arms, because I love them so much. You got to check them out if you haven't checked out Paper Arms. Josh has a solo record coming out very soon, which we're going to be playing here on the show. And I'm going to get him back on to talk about it. But uh, also Silverchair, duh. Frenzel Rom, duh. So those three are out of the way. So uh, basically I have two more and an honorable mention. So Midnight Oil. I know if you're from Australia, that's a big deal. 
But I love Midnight Oil. Uh, I think they're getting ready to do like a, a tour over in North America too. So maybe I'll get to see them. I don't. I've never seen them live. I'd really like to. But uh, a couple of weeks back, or maybe months back, I played an Alexis on Fire cover of one of their songs for the Dead Heart. Really, really good song. But I've always had a thing for Midnight Oil. I love them. They're pretty political, but uh, it, it's, it was always politics in Australia. Which, being an American, I didn't understand a lot of it. I guess because I, you know, I don't follow it as closely as maybe I should. But I don't even really follow my own country's politics that closely. So you'll have to forgive me. But uh, also, Body Jar, great kind of poppy punk band from back in the day. I'm not even sure if they're still doing stuff. Maybe I need to get somebody from Body Jar on the program. But uh, yeah, and then honorable mention, this band, the band that, re- that uh, sponsored last week's episode, Judo Chop, sick band, man. Six-piece band from Melbourne, from Melbourne, if you're from Australia. And uh, they're great. So honorable mention, Judo Chop. I've been listening to their stuff like nonstop, but uh yeah, so Paper Arms, Frenzel Rom, Silver Chair, of course, Silver Chair, they're like gods to me. Silver Chair, Midnight Oil, and Body Jar, and honorable mention, Judo Chop. So Jared, thank you so much. That is my top five list of bands from Australia. I love Australia, and I've always thought the music scene was really good down there. Even like metal stuff too, like Parkway Drive, I got to get them on the show, man. They, I saw them with, uh, I think with Kill Switch years ago. Maybe it was a warp tour. I don't remember, but uh, they blew me away. Just so much energy and so much good stuff coming out of Australia. And I mean, I know the Bee Gees and ACDC and stuff like that, but uh, you know, I don't really listen to that stuff. I listen to those other bands, but uh, shout out to Jared Gibson all the way from Queensland. I, I did just Gold Coast. I don't know. I just put the phone down, but uh, thank you so much for listening. I really appreciate it. And that's it for the segment today, man. If you guys want to get a hold of me and maybe be featured on the program, hit me up, TOTOTpodcast at gmail.com or go to TOTOTpodcast.com. It's got all the links for everything. You can even like donate a dollar through PayPal. If you like the show and you're like, I don't want to do Patreon, I don't want to sponsor an episode, but I want to give Chris 27 cents, you can do it at TOTOTpodcast.com and it would go to... To, to good use, 27 cents from each of you listeners out there. I might be able to like buy a new microphone or something. So uh, I love you guys. Thank you so much for the support. Subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen. And that is it. I'm going to jump into my conversation with Brad Kazarin from Grade and Somehow Hollow. I think you're really going to like it. No further ado. Here it is. Here we go. And I'm on the line with Mr. Brad Kasserin from Somehow Hollow and formerly of Grade. How are you doing today, Brad? I'm doing really good. Uh, Christopher or Chris, what do you like? Chris. Christopher. I put Christopher on Facebook and everything just because... Makes you look more professional. More professional. And there's this guy in England named Chris Swinney who is like... Right. He plays acoustic, like sappy music, and I didn't want everybody to, to you know, get us confused. <laughs> That's a good good plan, man. Yeah. Well, how- Chris, it's nice, nice, nice to talk to you, man. Yeah, it's nice to talk to you as well. I, I want to say at some point in the past we've probably met, just because before I was in the Ataris and before I did a lot of my touring, the band that I toured with the most as a tour manager was Sewing with Nancy, and then the Reason. Oh, for sure. And they're up there in the same area you guys are in. And I mean, I was always a big well, Grade fan, and I know that we we went and saw some Grade shows. I know that I saw Somehow Hollow a couple times when I was with them, so we had to have met at some point. 
And uh, no little known fact that I have production credits on the very first Reason EP. I know the problems associated <laughs> with running, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because I just remember, and you know, forgive me for for saying this, but the grade stuff kind of had this certain kind of production quality to it. And I remember I was going up to, to Hamilton to hook up with those guys. I'd known them forever. And they let me hear kind of like the master of that EP before it actually got pressed. And before they said anything, I'm like, it kind of sounds like grade stuff, the way it's recorded. (laughs) (laughs) I remember what I can remember about that is at one point in time, they asked me if I could do like the little ending to one of the songs that, we had maybe done on the head first of the little, yeah, and yeah. Like, can you do that same ending? So I even, I think I even have a guitar credit on there. That's awesome, man. Yeah. That's, <laughs> that, that's weird that there's like, you know, the world is so small. Like I feel like I've had a couple other guys on the show from, uh, from the great white North, you know, I've talked to Chris from propaganda and all kinds of different guys. And I feel like an honorary Canadian because I spent so much time with those guys cross Canada so many times and spent so much time in, in Dundas and Hamilton and all over Toronto, Burlington, like the whole area. That's awesome, man. And like, I know all about, you know, going to pizza pizza and like all the yeah. stuff up there, you know, <laughs> that's awesome, man. Yeah. And like for us too, it's like, we have that, um, uh, affinity too with the, uh, Ataris because, um, um, when I was on the road with great, uh, Chet Pope, are you familiar with him? Yeah, I know Chet. Yeah, so Chet was like a really good buddy of mine, and uh, I met him through the Ataris. That's awesome, and yeah, that's that's how I met Chet as well. <laughs> Sorry, dude. Yeah, so like that's uh, that's uh, so I always have kind of an Atari connection somewhere. So I'd like to, you know, first off, we'll talk about somehow Hollow. You guys have a brand new four song EP, Chasing Daylight. I how was that to record to write? I know you guys. It doesn't seem like. Well, first off, let me just give this little tidbit. I've always been a big grade fan. And when somehow hollow got going and signed to victory, I automatically bought the record just because of the connection to grade and how much I loved grade. And then it was this whole, you know, crazy guitar stuff, kind of a metal influence, but still punky and kind of emo or whatever you want to call it. It was such a great record. And then I kind of lost touch with you guys. And about a month or so ago, the Instagram account followed the podcast and I just freaked out because I love the band so much. So it's crazy how that stuff kind of happens, you know? Oh, a hundred percent, man. A hundred percent. So yeah. So where did you want me to, to go on? Well, I, I guess just like what, uh, you know, you guys were away for a while. You decided to come back. You've got this new record. How was it getting back in the swing of things and kind of writing and recording for somehow hollow again? Well, it's pretty easy. I have a uh, music school up in the area here. Um, the reason why I've had that is because um, it, it's been about 11 years. And uh, so I have a recording studio built into the music school. Okay. Um, so about four or five years ago, um, I hired or we hired on a uh, guy named Dave Featherstone. And he was an engineer in a studio that was uh, about an hour away from here as a guitar teacher and a, you know, drum instructor. And he, he, he was an engineer. Uh, he graduated from a place called Metalworks. And if you're familiar with Metalworks, Metalworks is like, kind of like, no, it's the big recording studio here in Toronto. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So it's like, they've done all that. They did all, they did some rush albums and, you know, triumph albums and it goes back like a long time. 
So he's a graduate of that program. So he was working there. So we slowly integrated a recording studio into the building. And me and Dave hit it off pretty well because we're both like guitar players. We both kind of like the same uh, music growing up. So we started off by doing uh, sound bites, which means we were doing like, uh, okay, let's make a 30-second trailer bite that sounds like a Guns N' Roses tune. Or, okay, let's do a 20-second trailer bite that sounds like a, you know, an Iron Maiden tune and so on and so forth. Because as you know, it, making money in music these days is, involves being – you know, you have to get involved in everything. So we were doing like jingle work and uh, stuff like that. And, uh, so I was, had this little setup going where I could record and then I would, I'm also a drummer, so I could play the drums over top of the, uh, what I was kind of writing in the other adjacent studio room. And I just started kind of plunking out these riffs that were kind of, you know, like fad records inspired kind of thing. Right. And so I sent them to my brother and I was just like, check out this riff I wrote. And he was like, oh my God, that's great. We should, you know, we should, you should use that or we should use that. So, um, I got Dave involved right off the bat to start recording these, these songs and we slowly started building them. And then eventually my brother Mike got involved. So we are now doing Wednesday evenings for like two hours. Like literally it's like men's night out. You know what I mean? Like a couple beers. And, uh, and then we started assembling these songs and eventually, and I was playing drums on all the songs and eventually we, we, we kind of constructed the EP, um, from start to finish and literally how you hear it, just not as well recorded, um, based on the fact that we were doing these little two hour bites. I'd go in in the day sometimes if I had time to do some drums, but we, there was no, um, I, there was no band, there was no record label, there was no shows there was nothing other than just three guys in a room you know having a couple beers and then even when we got to the lyric writing we were we were collaborating on lyrics and we'd take the songs home and we'd walk with them and you know you'd do your morning walk and you'd have the demos going you know everything that you dreamed you could have done when you were younger (laughs) you know when you made a record right or you should have done like no pressure no pressure at all when labels and everything get involved i mean i always I always tell people that thing that everybody knows, like you have your whole life to write your first record and six months to write your second record, right? You got it. And, and it's, and I, I mean, when I listen back to, and this is including my own work, obviously, when I listen back to, uh, stuff from, I'll say our gold, like our golden era, like a, like a nine men, 98, uh, whatever, 2003. Um, I do listen to a lot of my side, geez, man, like, as much as I love a lot of this music, there was a lot of really bad music being made. I think a lot of it was just because, you know, it was just everybody was putting out records and you were kind of on this time crunch and it was just, it wasn't very good, right? You were just forcing ideas. Um, but anyways, we finished the EP and then we kind of looked at each other and we said, I, you know, I really liked it. Everybody really liked it. I kind of felt like it was something that maybe... The, the, when we first started that band, that's kind of the end result we wanted from square one that we never were able to achieve. So, you know, we got Siegfried Meyer involved he, and he runs a big studio again around the area here called Beach Road. And he's done like, like just crazy records like Kitty and, uh, wow. you know, he did, uh, the, um, uh, you know, like rap, like, you know, some, some real hardcore gangster rap. Uh, stuff and uh, he won a couple Junos and Junos is like our Grammys right? Oh yeah I know all about the Junos man I'm an honorary <laughs> Canadian <laughs> Yeah that's right yeah um, So anyways um, so we got him involved and then we went down to the studio to record now 
the, the missing ingredient was here was that, okay, and I guess I should go back saying that the reason why it was just me and Mike involved is because um, uh, our drummer and, you know, original drummer, and we had kind of lost contact with those guys. And it just, it had been so many years um, that it just was never a, a, a thought of even trying to go back to like, you know, just, there was no relations there yeah. ever, you know, and uh, like we're talking like 15, 16 years. Um, so when we went into the studio, it was kind of like a joke, like, do I play drums on whatever? And I had just finished a, a metal record called Malakota, which, um, again, a Canadian kind of symphonic metal band and, um, uh, as a studio guitar player. Um, and then the drummer that was involved with me on that project was Mike Harshaw, who's plays drums on this. And he's, uh, used to play drums in a big Canadian metal band called Annihilator, well, worldwide metal band. Oh yeah. I've heard of Annihilator. That's awesome. Yeah. Alice and hell and all that. And just like, we're just like one of those great guys, but we shot a video for this Melakota album. It was for the sleet off. So we can get on YouTube. It's pretty funny. I'm in, I'm in like corpse paint. It's like, <laughs> it's, it's, it's a seven minute symphonic metal record and he was the drummer so we, we we both did the video together and when we would have these breaks in the time i remember i had mentioned to him where i said something like you know you're in a room with a bunch of black metal guys right yeah and so you, you're careful what you say but i remember <laughs> i had just said something along the lines of oh yeah like no effects or something along those lines and harsha the drummer turned to me and he says you like no effects and i was just like yeah that's like kind of my roots of blah blah and he's like dude i love fat record i love fat punk awesome <laughs> i was like yeah so he was always in the back of my head and come two years later when we were sitting who do we get you know to play drums on this i said you know what i have a, a long shot here let me call the guy from annihilator and see if he wants it. and like right off the bat he was like you know tell me where to be send me the songs <laughs> so he got the demos and he ended up like i said to him just like i would say anybody i said free reign dude like I wrote these drums as I envisioned them and he ended up coming back saying they're, they're great. And he just, you know, bolstered them and with his own obviously, uh, professionalism, but you know, the demos were pretty much so constructed. So all we had to do when we went in the studio was knock these tracks out. It just, it was easy as can be. So it was like your brother plays bass, correct? Mm -hmm. And you guys both sing. Yeah. Mike has always been the principal vocalist. Okay. Um, but everybody sings on the record, but as far as using, uh, you know, and we even kind of half joked in the first time, oh, well, I'll just take a shot. Everybody can sing. Like, who cares? It's not the same band. Yeah. Uh, what happened was, um, you know, it was just like after we kind of established the demos and we're like, no, it's the band. That's when we decided, OK, well, this will be a somehow hollow record. And then that's also when we decided we had been working with Dave, the engineer for this past year doing it. So we were like, I, I would feel remiss if I didn't get him into the band. Like he's in the band as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he absolved himself into the band. And then we had Mike Harshaw. Um, so, so Mike is the principal vocalist on the record, but both Dave and myself have uh, been singing for so long that uh, that's all the vocal layers are me and Dave. So you guys, I know you did a, uh, like a release show at the bovine sex club. Yep. Have there been a lot of other gigs or are you guys going to try to like get out there and really push this? Or is it just kind of like a project right now currently? Well, we did uh, bovine for Toronto. And then last weekend we were in London at the London music hall. Uh, and then this weekend we're in our home area, Hamilton. So we're doing, we did three record release shows and, um, 
again, it was one of those things where, you know, everybody, me, Dave and Mike Harsh are the drummer are working musicians. So we literally, um, you know, you're pining for any time. So we were able to kind of all organize these three shows that we could all get time off what we do for our regular gigs. And, um, after we did the first gig, you know, everybody was just kind of like, whatever. But Mike, the drummer said, I would love to keep doing this. So we did we second the gig. So everybody's kind of, we're kind of like loosely back. Like, <laughs> <laughs> so there, there's going to be some stuff in the future. It's kind of nice to be able to leave it on. Like you don't yeah. have to figure it out right now because you just, you know, you have this thing you can, these new songs that you guys did and kind of the future is limitless. You can kind of do whatever you want without a lot of pressure. Right. And also don't, the, what people you have to understand is that we didn't play as a band when we wrote these songs. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. like we, they were demoed and they were kind of like segmented. So when we went in the studio and recorded them, the drums were, were pretty much the recorded start to finish just like you normally would. But when it was time to put a live show together, we were kind of like, okay, well now we got to, be a band again. So we only practice twice for these live shows and the band is so good together. This, this, this incarnation of it, that it's pretty effortless. So these shows have gone off so well that we kind of just been like, like, why wouldn't we just be a band? So anyways, um, a couple of the promoters that had done the shows had, you know, they've already kind of contacted say like, are you, are we doing bigger stuff down the road? You know, can I, can we, can we get, do, do you want to be contacted if we are, you know, doing bigger you know, shows and cause that's what well, for us, that would be the enticement, right. Yeah, is yeah. jump on a bill or that kind of thing for us or some festivals. And that's kind of where we're leaving it right now. We're kind of an open-ended, um, whether that means a couple of weeks and I don't know, traveling, whatever it's kind of, it's, we're leaving it just kind of where everybody's having some fun and the response has been really good. And the band, if the band, if we were doing these live shows and the band kind of was half ass, yeah. I would, be kind of like you know when we, we we've done a couple tribute shows before like to get back when we got back together and they were they were a lot of work and they weren't very satisfying and you know and it, you, you yeah. know as a musician you're kind of just it's just kind of trying to get through the songs and so with the with the new band you guys are playing the you know the four new songs but to fill out a set i'm sure you yeah. kind of cherry pick some songs from the past as well right that's right. We've been doing a couple of tunes off the set, the victory release. And then we are, we have a, a debut album that was on a local label here called the East end industries. Okay. And we're pulling songs off that. And then we've got a bunch of covers that we've been rolling out that have been tremendously fun. <laughs> so I'm, I'm very interested in, uh, I love the guitar work. I'm a guitarist. I, I teach guitar for a living. Nice. Uh, I'm very interested to maybe hear a little bit more about the school later on, but I've always been very impressed with the guitar work that you've you know done in grade as well as somehow hollow. How nice. how studied are you as far as like music theory? Uh, I am nowadays. Okay, I was never. I can tell you that my initial goal, like when I tell people, I do a lot of. I call it schlubby work. Okay. So I do a lot of uh, corporate functions now, and I work with a great band that does, uh, you know, everything you can imagine: weddings and bar mitzvahs and the whole nine yards as a as a guitar player. I at that point, uh, because I've been doing this, I've become very well schooled. My initial thought of picking up a guitar for the first time was pure. 
that's why I always feel good about doing what I do now is that when, for me, it was about, you know, the, the, as cheesy as it is, the three chords, how far, how high could I jump on stage? You know, my, my stage moves, everything was all about the show. Yeah. And so my initial guitar playing was, was that formative kind of, um, you know, just raw power. And then it would be bolstered with some, some leads and stuff like that, that I would kind of just, you know, melodically come up with as we'd hum. And then you just kind of fumble your way until you, until you figure it out (laughs) close to getting it right. Yeah. The difference nowadays is that, like I was saying this to somebody else I did in a radio interview the other day, that when I think of something now, I can, I do it. When we thought of something back in the days, it was how close can we get to it? How close can we get to that idea in our heads? We could never quite achieve it. Just tech, through technical boundaries. Yeah. So you just came as close as you could, and that's what it ended up being. And now you can kind of envision it and just kind of – uh, accomplish it. Well, I always liked that you guys utilized a lot of, you know, the major and minor third harmonies on the leads and on the riffs, you know, in grade and somehow hollow. And I grew up kind of the same way with, you know, listening to, I think, you know, like Metallica and Maiden and, and yeah. all the fat record stuff that to me always had a little bit more metal than some of the other punk bands. Right. So yeah, like, is that kind of what you kind of influenced you at the beginning as well with your guitar playing? A hundred percent. I'm a, uh, like I'm a, me and my brother both are like, we are maiden devotees. Yeah. Uh, it was my very first, uh, almost one of my very first sounds I had ever heard, uh, when I, you know, first discovered music was Iron Maiden. It was like the second or third record I ever bought when I was 10 was uh, summer in time app, which had just come out. Um, and that was my life. And when I started getting into punk rock music, um, you know, it was the stuff we have a band, you'd hear an honorary Canadian, you'd know this. We have a band called the forgotten rebels, okay, which is our sex pistols. So they were like, you know, they came out in the late seventies and they, I love that band. I, you know, to this day. So they were the kind of the first band that you kind of were like, Oh my God, like I love, I want to do that on stage. But the heavy metal stuff and the Iron Maiden and all that stuff was kind of the foundation of the music. There was always that split point because it was either, you know, you were listening to the Misfits growing up or like some sort of oi music or, you know what I mean? Yeah. So you always had these splits. And I think for me, it wasn't until the Fat Records, early Epitaph stuff that you melted them together. So not only could you have your cake, you could also eat it too. Yeah. And that's what kind of really attracted me to skate punk or worse. Self- I remember the, the first record I probably ever heard in that vein was the first, was the Pennywise self-titled one, right? Which was such a good record, man. Yeah. I'm thinking that, you know, was that, am I like, am I right to say it's like 1992-ish? 92, 91, 92. I'm not sure. They had a, like an EP or something before that as well. So that was kind of like, you know, um, that was kind of, um, uh, neither here nor there at that point in time. This was the one with bro and all on it. Oh yeah. Yeah. And, and the song, the song Pennywise, right? The song Pennywise. Yeah. But yeah. I liked it a lot. Like it was, I was intrigued, but it didn't really 
push scratch the itch for me like it did some people uh for me it was uh when i finally went to college in 94 93 94 in london and i went to a, a, a frat party and there was you know just as you can imagine you come in the first floor there's a keg party going on and and then in this room there's people in the kitchen and i wandered my way up to upstairs and somebody was listening to the propaganda record right how to clean everything that's one of my favorite records of all time. Man. Oh, it, and it was one of those moments where I kind of went, this is it. Like this is to me, is it, the perfect blend, you know? In fact, I can even remember thinking like, it's funny to think about back then, but I remember thinking like, it sounds like uh, Dave Mustaine. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like singing fast punk like music with like technical riffs like i was just like what is this so i you know i grabbed what is this and propaganda and they're canadian which was the like awesome part right yeah i brought up when i when i had roadie from protest the hero on the show we were talking a lot about them and i was like did you like realize when you first heard it that they were like from your country and he's like i don't know if i knew anybody was from any country like i just you know coming from a place like Winnipeg just to bust out of there as, as the band that they are. I mean, that's, that's a one in a million chance, man. Well, I'll tell you the when, when, when they first came, I was living in London, Ontario at the time and they came for the first time on that kind of end of that cycle to call the office, which was the, you know, the place to play there. Been there many times. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure you have, man. So you know how big that place holds. Oh yeah. I can remember, um, I had, I was renting a room above it at the time, uh, as a jam space. And, uh, so I kind of always, any good shows, I kind of always was able to come down and get right in for. So I had gotten my wisdom teeth pulled that day and this was like, I wasn't missing the show. So I had come down and there was this little area above, uh, one of the pillars that had like a shelf. So I was able to sit on, they let me sit on the shelf, like, which was kind of right in front of the stage while everybody kind of mingled around. That was insane like that place filled up in seconds and i remember someone threw a rock so like you know, the 100 people 150 people that were lined up outside that couldn't get in one guy threw a brick through the window like it was like <laughs> it was this massive mo movement and if i can be completely honest with you they weren't very good <laughs> <laughs> yeah i've seen some videos of them back in the day and i mean they've come quite a ways uh, oh, with their live show so far i remember in fact i will tell you they blew the first song they had to stop it and then start the next song in the set <laughs> like yeah. they literally butchered it and i just remember thinking to myself i you know it's still great and it was just such a great show and a great experience but i do remember thinking to myself eh, you know, you come from, from liking, you know, music like Iron Maiden, stuff like that. And that, that, you know, is like always going to be what it is solid. And then you kind of hear this and you kind of go, I was okay. I, you know, just what you imagine, scratchy <laughs> guitars. You couldn't really hear everything, yeah. but it was great. And the whole moment was great. But so, the, so I, I think they may probably be the band of that era that kind of fused the two together for me finally. So why don't you take me back? I know that, you know, somehow hollow, even though to me, when I heard about the band, it was because you guys were on victory and it had this association with grade, but I know yeah. that that band was going before you started playing with grade. So why don't you take me into like how you ended up playing in grade? So I was living in London, like I said, at the time, and, uh, I did a kind of a heart, like I was really into good riddance at the time. That was another band I got into early on in that era. And so I kind of formed like a good riddancy kind of band called Voice of Reason. Okay. 
And uh, I was going to school in uh, London in the the MIA program, which is like the Music and Industrial Arts program. They had like a recording studio. In fact, the guy that produced all the big Rage Against the Machine records and all that, he was one of the teachers at the time there. Wow. Garth, you probably see him on the back. Like, Yeah, I've seen that. Garth Richardson. And anyway, so one of the guys, you know, your partner, he had to do a musical. Your, your thing was you had to record a band. So my band voice of reason, which wasn't very good, but we did a whole record, like these really short, quick, punky songs. And so the guy, um, that was in the program there, Ryan with me, he started a record label called United records. And one of the bands that he on the, on the record label was a band called trunk, which was like, uh, like a, like a skate punk band from, where I live now, Burlington, that was on this label called Raw Energy Records, which is a big Toronto record label. Uh, probably the most famous band on Raw Energy would be Trigger Happy. Oh, yeah. We did split with uh, Satanic Surfers and Good Riddance, I believe. Um, but anyways, um, so he was like, oh, I'd like to put this record out on my label. So I put the record out and then he booked a cross-Canada tour. And the tour was with this band from Burlington called Trunk. So long story short, we went, uh, we started this tour and halfway through the tour, their guitar player quit. He went home. So they asked me in the morning, Hey, can I play both? Could I play their set as well as my, our, my band set? Yeah. So I literally learned all their songs in a, in a, in a, you know, it's cross uh, Canada, as you know, you've done this uh, long drives. So I learned their entire set. Very the long van. drives. Yeah. Yeah. Like painful, man. So, um, in fact, as you know, grades probably been across, went across the United States about 30, 40 times. And we went across Canada. I think we counted, we went across three times. <laughs> Like Dude, I just I, remember, I mean, all the drives are bad, but I just always have these memories of driving from like the Toronto area to Thunder Bay. It's, my God, like your your first drive, it's like knocks you out. You yeah, can't it's, even like it's crazy. Further. <laughs> so I learned all this, this band set and then so I can finish this tour playing both sets. And then I went back to London. And of course, uh, they called me uh, uh, maybe a week after I got home that they had some now they had some Toronto shows. Could I come play guitar for them? So I said, sure. So I drove back to, you know, London was about two hours away from where I live now, Burlington. So I would drive here, do shows and sleep on one of the guys, you know, floors. And eventually they just said, do you want to join the band? I said, oh, for sure. So I moved down here. So I was part of the this Burlington scene right from the very get-go that had, you know, was was bringing, the bands we would have played with back then were like the Rainbow Butt Monkeys, who of course became Finger Eleven. Yeah probably one of the bigger bands that, that, that spawned from that scene, but they were like our band that we would play on weekends with down here. And so with those bands, I played, uh, with a band called Jersey. Oh yeah. I remember Jersey. I was actually on a big wig tour one time with sewing with Nancy and Jersey was playing that, that those shows Jordan from Alexis used to be in, in Jersey. Um, Jordan from Alexis. Yep. Yeah. hundred percent. So Greg Taylor, who was the singer of Jersey, was like a really good friend of mine. I've met Greg many times. He's a good dude. Yeah, he's a great, great guy. I still see Greg. Uh, he's probably one of the guys from that old day that I still see, like that I still see. In my, he's got kids and they're the same age as my kids, so they, they kind of chum around. Awesome. But um, he, he was in Jersey and Great at the time. Great had just done their deal with Victory Records and they had just put out Under the Radar. And then Greg... Mom was ill, so he um, he was going to take 
not he was going to step back from grade. He was still going to do Jersey, but he was going to he he was he wanted to stay at home. Like he wanted to stay closer home. He still wanted to do his gigs and stuff like that. But I guess he may have felt at the time that if he was going to choose between the two, he would choose the band that he was kind of the most directly involved with or yeah. front man for. Right. So he called me and I, you got to you got to put yourself back in these days. So I've got spiky blonde hair. <laughs> like I am as fat records as you're going to ever get. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So he called me and he said, Hey, you know, I'm thinking about quitting. Great. Do you want to try out for the band? And I remember thinking, yeah, for sure. Why wouldn't I? Right. So, I mean, you got to, these are so, such comical times when you think back to these, but so like everything we'd done was an E standard tuning. Right. Yeah. And all of a sudden he's like, Oh, what well, we play in drop D tuning. And I remember just thinking like, what, what's that? And so he <laughs> came over one night and he was, we was we were starting to do shots of vodka. And this is he's prepping me for this audition, and we ended up getting so wasted. And he's trying to show me these grade songs and how to tune down a drop D. He can barely hold the guitar. In fact, he fell through my coffee table. I had a glass top coffee table. He literally did the thing where he fell in through it with his guitar. So long story short, I maybe learned four songs total. Yeah. So I went to the audition and um, the singer Kyle and me, even back in those days, um, you know, had had run-ins with each other um, because it was the hardcore kids kind of versus the punk kids. Yeah. Right. And so we had already had this, these little, I wouldn't call them like, like battles, but these little moments that we, I don't like that guy. You know, I don't like that guy. Yeah. So I came in and he was already kind of like, eh, I don't, I, this isn't going to happen. So I auditioned and then I guess I played the songs pretty decently. So the bass player, Matt Jones, who was kind of more of the, I guess you'd call him more like the business guy in the band. Yeah. He just kind of looked at me and he said, and I, these, these are great words. Now think about where I'm coming from. He says, hey, can you do a tour with the Misfits? starting next week. <laughs> and I literally looked at him and I was like, can I do a tour with the misfits? I'm like, yeah, yeah I can do that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was in the band right off the bat. Now, uh, it was a tour. Do you remember the snow jam tour? Oh yeah, definitely. Yeah. And actually coincidentally enough, big wig was on this tour and mustard plug. So <laughs> I, I met the guys in mustard plug too. Oh, they're they, awesome. They're right? awesome. They're great. So I went, it was a uh, grade mustard plug, big wig, a band called Flashlight. Do you remember them? Yeah, they're a Canadian band, right? Canadian band. Yeah, kind of in the same era, era of timeline, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Good, again, good guys too, really like those guys as well. So that was like my first kind of outing. And I didn't really even know like the guys that well. So like literally it was like, it's, it's what you can imagine. I get into a van. And I'm like, kind of just like, I don't even know any of them. I don't know their person. I know Kyle a little bit, you know, and I don't, but I don't really know them. So that first tours for me was just kind of trying to like find my uh, grounding, I guess, with the band. So that's how I joined great. <laughs> <laughs> so, and, and you got, you had somehow hollow going. So did that, did that leave the guys kind of, they didn't have you anymore? Or? Yeah. Like I was always doing bands with my brother. Like we were always like, we grew up together playing. So like we were, we did the garage band thing. Like you had a sibling that you actually did, did not dislike. Like me and Mike were always friends. So we were always doing bands together or like, you know, and he was always doing his own bands. So when I was in grade, like we had talked about doing this, what we wanted to do at the time was our 
fat records band, right? Like yeah. our punk band. And uh, it included this guy, Drew Clark and uh, Ken Abbott. And they were both uh, local guys to Stratford, which is where um, kind of near London, where we were kind of home based. So those guys were the London faction. I had moved to Burlington, but I still had this connection to London and Stratford area. Like I was kind of the guy that was going back and forth all the time. So when I was in grade and these guys were moving on with their fat records band, I was always kind of in the back of my head being like, shit, like I still want to do the fat records band. Like, (laughs) you know, I need this in my life. Yeah. (laughs) So I was kind of working with them. And then when we, when grade went into the studio to do head first straight to hell, I had already finished the very first somehow hollow record. The first summer hollow record was came out before I ever recorded anything with grade. So that's the confusion there. That band was long going. And so you, you play, you played on, on head first straight to hell, correct? Yes. How was the, the whole process with that? Did you enjoy it? I mean, did you get some writing say in some of like your parts or was it more of like a session guy? No, at that album has, I'm thinking now maybe 11 tracks, 11, 12 tracks. I probably wrote, was involved in the co-writing of all of them, except for one tune that they kind of had sussed out a little bit before I was there. Yeah. But but not even. I was involved with the writing with that from square one. In fact, if you listen to a lot of the semi-hollow stuff, that my my stamp is on that thing. Well, like, that, that's the thing that I always notice about semi-hollow. So I just I thought in my mind you had to have a decent amount of writing input on Head First Straight to Hell because the guitar work is so similar. And unless you're it, kind of you know writing those parts, you know. Yeah, I'll point out like literally like licks that are I like the same lick. <laughs> <laughs> like literally um head for straight to hell came out because when we when we were started that band so kyle's always been like a um he, he's he's an eccentric music guy right i've like, met kyle a couple of times and i've heard all the stories i'm actually i just talked to him this morning about coming on the podcast <laughs> oh good no he's i i, I gotta tell you like so he's a he's a he's an artistic visionary yeah kind of guy and much like myself, that we we get we got lost in ideas early on together. So I think that the strength of grade with Greg in the band was Greg had this kind of street punk straightforwardness. You know, you got the verse, the chorus, the verse, the blah blah blah, right? Kind of counterbalanced the Kyle stuff. Exactly. So now he had lost that. And now me and him were just like, oh my God, we can do this like space echo thing. And <laughs> there's no chorus. We're just going to do the extend this part and add this. And of course, um, the story be, for Head First is the first tour we, I did in Europe. We were on the plane and we were listening to In Flames okay. Colony. Yeah. I believe it was Colony. And the first track on that album, um, set the tone for everything we were going to do at that point point <laughs> with the harmonized guitars and the heaviness. And we were just like, why make another poppy kind of, for lack of a better word, emo screamo album when we could create this hybrid and lean it more towards, um, heavy metal kind of, uh, but like, but very spacey and, 
the themes were going to be. And when we were writing that record, Kyle used to send me demos. And this is back in the day where you had to, you know, you recorded on a, like a micro cassette recorder. And then he would play the micro cassette recorder while singing into another micro cassette yeah. recorder. Yeah. Cause you know, you were trying to get the, what you had written, but he had to somehow track it. And I remember he sent me those demos. I probably still have them somewhere. I should dig those up. But anyways, uh, his lyrics were so in tune with what we were doing that there was like, I was like, this is never going to fail. Like, this is such a, this is so cool. Right. I just remember when it came out because I like, I liked under the radar, I liked everything great had ever done. And when that came out, I mean, the artwork was really, really cool. And just yeah. everything about that record for me was great. And I hadn't really heard a lot of bands. I mean, I won't say Kyle was like screaming. I guess he was sometimes, but it was just that new kind of gravelly, yeah, vocal like, style that he kind of almost created to a to a degree in that genre of music, you know. I give him, yeah, I totally always give Kyle, like you know, you know, credit for for being his own person. He's never ever. I don't think he was influenced by anybody. Like when I, I, I think of all the times that I'm, I've been with him. He never really got influenced by much. It was, it was really just. It, what he was going to do was probably going to be what he's going to do no matter what. Right. Yeah, yeah. And that was the big knock was that there was a little window of light that we had there that could have been, we could have been that we could have made that massive leap, but instead we decided to <laughs> do this. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I think in hindsight, well, in, in hindsight, you made the right choice. I mean, the record's classic, man. Well, I, I, I you know, someone come up, came up to me the other day and we were talking about it and they said something about, you know, or someone had said something about it and they were aching it to like, like, you know, it was just, it was the, like, it was like almost u 2 esque like back then it was like, it was, it was a record that kind of, it wasn't expected and it was, yeah. There was like enough variety in it that if you had to listen to it a bunch of times. Now, of course, the knock on that record is that when we got the money for it, um, we had some good options for studios that were friends of ours that that dollars that we got for that could have been stretched to infinity. But instead, um, it was decided to use this old studio called Grant Avenue in Hamilton that you two recorded. Um, pieces of the Joshua tree at wow. and was like a very like revered all old t analog tape. Everything in that studio was from the seventies. Right. And they were just in the process of modernizing it with a computer when we were, when we got in there, the studio was like back in even these, those days was over a hundred dollars an hour. And we had gotten this budget and there we were there in there for three weeks. And I mean, we literally were doing the whole, We'd show up at the session at 10 and then we'd go for coffees till 12. You know, we'd be paying for those two hours. Like we were just kind of like, yeah, we're in the studio. This is great. So the quality of that record never was able to equal the scope of what was written for it. And I think that's probably the negative uh, about and the, the feeling about that album that time has negative feelings because of the fact that it never actually achieved the, what we had, you know, we had planned for it due to the fact that the recording is terrible. Well, and, and I mean, I'll, I'll interject here a little bit. I see where you're going with like the way the production was, but I, I, you might feel the same way as I do. Like, you know, we're both in our forties, correct? 
Correct. So, like, I look back at bands that I loved growing up, like Black Fla- Black Flag, Circle Jerks, you know, Dead Kennedys, The Misfits. That stuff is recorded horrendously. <laughs> but when I listen to those songs, for some reason, it's like my brain circumnavigates how bad the production is and just listens to the melodies and how great everything is. And I I do remember quite vividly listening to Head First Straight to Hell and thinking, wow, man, I, was this a conscious effort to have this production? And then after a while, I got so used to it that I almost preferred that to the other grade stuff. Well, I've had lots of people tell me that. And that's so I, I trust me, there's not anything that can be said that would, that would make me feel bad about, you know, that era. I, I, I've come to the conclusion that I do and I did enjoy it. I do like it. And I will leave it at that. Like nothing's yeah. going to weigh me, no matter any, fan from back then or anybody from around the area that says otherwise they can't i can't be uh, it can do nothing to me now i'll tell you a funny story about that record from actually just yesterday so every time i get in the shower i put on spotify right right and uh i was like well i'm not just gonna hit a playlist or anything i'm gonna listen to that record because it's been a while since i've listened to it so i went to the record i hit shuffle and it played through a, a really good song. And the second song after I was in the shower and I couldn't do anything about it, it was the song that had the hidden track. So there's like 15 minutes yeah. of silence. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so my, my shower was not filled with the wonderful music of grade. It was filled with silence. <laughs> yeah. Silence. And yeah. And then some weird, like <laughs> torturous. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was supposed to be like a little bit of Hellraiser, I think was, was, was a lot of the, uh, the influence by there. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah, totally, man. So, um, how much influence did Victory have while you guys were recording that? Did they have their hand in a lot of it, or were they like wanting to hear the work you had done day to day, or were they just kind of hands off? Yeah, I remember we the first track we recorded on that was, um, and again, I'm not going to remember uh, uh, offhand. I don't have the record in front of me, but, uh, um there was the first track we finished. I remember we had, we, we kind of did the whole hold it, hold the phone, Tony in his office, kind of listening kind of thing. And I, and I do remember at the time they were kind of like, eh, <laughs> what are you guys doing? Yeah. Like I do remember that kind of sense of, Oh guys, don't please, please don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, it was kind of a new thing, right? Yeah. And I mean, um, then right down to the artwork, I remember we, the guy that did the artwork was this guy named Kevin Llewellyn. I'm sure Kyle will tell you all about it, but he was, uh, he did his, he was like a fantasy artist. I don't know how Kyle came across him, but he had done, uh, video game covers for, if I'm, I got to I think it was Harry Potter or something. He was like, <laughs> he was doing the artwork for like some major thing, Harry Potter. And he was, he was in the midst of doing a big production for something, but he really wanted to do this album cover art. So of course this album cover art, I have a lot of the original pieces still downstairs. They're in a scrapbook. Um, he, uh, he created like massive amounts of artwork for this record. Now, I don't know how much of that he may have had in the works, but apparently he was listening to the album. We had sent them advanced copies of the record so that he could get uh, some ideas down. But when we got those, those panels, they were these massive, um, like they were done on 
like uh like massive like uh you know canvases okay so <clears throat> the first argument that after this first of all this record's done and victory's not super stoked on it then the next battle i remember is that now we need it to be in a digipack <laughs> to, to <laughs> this artwork yeah and then because that, that you know you know this you got to go back that the digipacks nobody wanted the digipack was such a pain in the ass because it was a great way to present a record as we know now especially in in the cd age but the jewel case was so much more practical and cheaper think. too yeah and cheaper and stocking it on the shelves and like so at, in this era of Victory Records was their first big deal with Best Buy. Okay. So Victory had just secured a national distribution uh, deal with Best Buy Records, like for every store, for their entire catalog. So everything was kind of geared to this Best Buy thing of what happened in the jewel cases and all this stuff, right? In fact, I, there is a little known version of Hetfers, I don't know if you're aware of this, that doesn't have any artwork on it. I think I've seen that somewhere on the internet i'm not sure but yeah the one that i had had the artwork and it was the right so because uh, once this record was completed of course best buy wouldn't carry it yeah because of the album cover art so they had to quickly go into production and create a non-album cover art version of it so the inside of the sleeve has the cover art but the outside is literally black <laughs> it looks yeah. like an acdc album or something awesome the black uh, album great yeah, it's kind of cool. I look at it every now and again. I think that's pretty neat. And uh, but anyway, so then the next battle after this, of course, as we as we're, as we're kind of even getting more like, oh my god, then we got to do this. Was of course trying to get them to do like a gatefold double LP of it, which they were just like, absolutely not. Yeah. But uh, Kyle convinced them then to do the picture disc. So it, it, like there was that the, the records got so many variables of like kind of uncharted territory for victory because of this album artwork so it was it was like it was all everything was thought out but i do know that they weren't like super like stoked on the whole thing i think they were probably stoked later on when it started selling fairly well yeah i, I mean i and again don't like have hard numbers again back in those days numbers were thrown around like with such like <laughs> you you could you don't know who to believe back then man yeah yeah like it's, it's, it's quite comical now to think about like that, all the, all the, the kind of the crap that was being thrown around there with album sales and who was selling what. And of course every band was your rival. You know what I mean? Yeah. <laughs> and was selling this. And then, you know, in that era too, we were, we had, we had taken, taken back Sunday out for their first tour. That's right. Cra- that's yeah. crazy to think about with what happened with those guys. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And again, same thing. Like then, you know, they started selling records like crazy. So there was just like this, it just seemed like grade was never able to get a real footing. Yeah. It almost seemed like we misstepped like every step of the way. You know what I mean? Yeah. I remember being in a, uh, I was in a, we were playing a bar in, in, in uh, Guelph uh, called the Trashateria. You probably remember that place. I've been there too, man. You can, I don't think you can name a venue yeah, around no, there that still, I haven't like, been to. You know, but you know these places. So we were playing and Alexis on Fire was opening up the show that night. Okay. And their guy um, at the time was, you know, there's, I can't, I think his name was Greg. He was this, this distort entertainment guy. This is a, a memory that I always have. And because I run a music school now, I, I tell the kids all the time. I think it's hilarious. And I still talk to Jordan. You know, I just talked to him a few weeks ago. But I go, 
the guy comes up to a table and it's me and Kyle. And even if he doesn't remember this is, I'll tell you, this is exactly what happened. And he said that Alexis on fire played. And of course you're not paying attention. You're lying. If you said you paid attention, opening bands. Yeah. Sometimes you did. Sometimes you didn't. And this is before Alexis on fire was like, Alexis. Oh, this on is fire. like, this is uh, right. This is at the first, like that, the, the one with the schoolgirl on the front, like they had just maybe pressed this. Well, yeah. And I remember seeing them. I'm not even sure what year it was. I was with sewing with Nancy and they were playing like a, some kind of like hall in Oshawa or somewhere. Like it was. Yeah. And there was like maybe a hundred kids there. <laughs> oh yeah. Like, so this is where they open. So this great guy comes up to me and he says, Hey, I'm Greg, blah, 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 distort or whatever. And I said, Hey man. And he was like, I was never rude to anybody in my times there. Uh, and he said, uh, what did you think of that opening band? And I said to him, oh, they were great. Even though I, you know, maybe I'd listen, I don't, you know, remember. And so then he says to me, okay, great. What do you think you could do for them? And I looked at him, I go, what do you mean? He goes, what do you think you guys can do for them? And I looked at him and I said, what do you want me to do with them? <laughs> like, I yeah. was like, well, you know, in hindsight, it just seemed like every move we made in grade was like, you know, like a step, like, we always were just off that path. Like, Hey, maybe we should have done something with Alexis. <laughs> yeah. You know, we always had like a one, just, we are, that was the running joke. We were just one step either. We did, we make one bad move and then, or, or we miss this move. We just were always kind of flipping all over the place, kind of trying to find a footing. So when, you know, when grade ended in 2002, and then you guys got signed somehow hollow. Did you go straight back into that? Because you guys signed with Victory that same year. Can you kind of walk me through how was it just was it the association with Grade and Tony knew you already? And you guys Yeah, well you got what you gotta understand is by this point in time, we had we were losing members, so the bass player quit. So my brother Mike was the now playing bass with Grade. He was a touring bass player, right? Our drummer quit or we fired him. I can't remember which one it was. And the drummer from somehow Drew was in the band. And then when our original guitar player had left in grade, Kent was the guy that replaced him. So everybody thought that the band was somehow hollow was, you know, had taken over this, but in all reality, and I'm sure it, you know, I've heard all the stories. Um, but in all reality, what was happening there was Pete, like I said this in another interview, no matter who, who, who in grade disputes this is they would come to me. Yeah. And uh, so Matt's quitting. Do you know any bass players? First time around with the guitar player quitting. Hey, Sean's quitting. Do you, do, do you know any guitar players? Like I was being, it wasn't, I wasn't forcing my gang into the band. Yeah. I was being asked for replacement members. And every single replacement member I recommended got the job. Yeah. Did the job. So it was like, it was just one of those things where it, it didn't seem like anything was really happening as far as an, overtaking of the band it's just that it, it just kind of evolved that way because those were our friends those were the people we were hanging around with you know and we didn't have this you know now it seems funny it's like if i lost a drummer tomorrow i would be searching on the web looking for a drummer yeah or like i would be looking for the best guy for the job but back in those days it wasn't necessarily the best guy for the job it was the guy that was closest to you and could quit his job next week on tour, right? So like that's how the that's how grade kind of involved. So anyways, once grade kind of the my version of grade, once they kind of fizzled out and it knew that it was no longer gonna continue, 
we had already built up this great relationship with Tony because Tony loved the members of the band. Uh, Ken, our guitar player at the time, uh, they, like Tony loved them. He was the guy that like everybody loved. So, you know, Tony would have done anything for me. And in the, in the minute that the band broke up and then we said, okay, well, maybe we can just do another Summer Hollow record. Let me call Tony. Tony literally was just like, sure, I'll put it out. That's awesome, like, man. We'll tell you how that's like, that is the legit story of how it happened. It was literally just a, hey, Tony, what do you think about putting out this album from this band that we did before grade? And he literally was like, of course I will. That's you guys great. are friends, right? Like, so there was no controversy about how the band became this and that with the grade thing association. It was literally everybody loved the band, like guys as person, as people. And they wanted to put out your record. So that's literally how the next great, the semi hollow record came out on victory it was Tony was all down. He gave us money and we went in the studio and we banged out that record. And the first single was cam loops. I, I remember you, you guys did a video for that. Correct. Yeah. So what happened is my, it's kind of the first foray of my ending of the band is uh, by this point in time in my life, I was pretty tired of, being on tour and I did a three week tour with somehow hollow before the album came out. And it was just a grinder, man, like just sucked the life out of me. So when we drove down to long Island to shoot, like we drove from Toronto to long Island, New York to shoot that video. Uh, I quit the band on the way to the video shoot. <laughs> okay. I I'd planned it out. I was going to have a talk with the guys and, and all that. And of course, it's, I'm, you know, they're my fam my brothers in the band. He's my family. So he completely understood. I just said, it's, I'm just done. And we had booked a tour to, I, I can see they were a little upset at me at the time because we had booked a tour to Europe. Like they were going to go to Europe. And I was just like, I was all kind of closing in on me where I was like, do I really want to go to Europe for a month with, you know, right now? And I didn't. So I quit. And so when we were shooting that video, I, the director, the guy in charge of filming it said to me, you know, he's setting up a shot and I just tapped him on the shoulder. I said, Hey man, you might want not like, don't shoot me very much in the video. And he said, why? And I said, I quit. I'm not even in the band. <laughs> so I'm, 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 I'm not in that video very, very much, but that, that, that was my last, that was my last, uh, until we did the Kent Abbott reunion shows. Um, that was my last time I played with those guys, 2003. We've been on the phone for quite a while. I like to cap these around an hour. I have some listener questions, or I, I have one listener question I'd like to ask sure. you if that's cool with you. 100%. Okay. Uh, Christopher from Illinois, he writes in all the time. Uh, he wanted to know, have you ever wanted to walk off stage before the end of a set? Like, were you ever frustrated, or was there ever a reason you <laughs> wanted to walk off stage? <laughs> Does this guy know me personally? I don't think he knows you personally, but I think he, he usually asks almost every guest a question. He's, he's really, really uh, good with sending in the questions. My very last, when I quit grade, I base, I, I was in Arizona. I did that. I, I didn't walk off stage and stop playing. I walked off the stage and continued playing. <laughs> did you have a wireless? <laughs> I did not. I literally just got out of the viewpoint. I remember being so, and again, it's me and Kyle had a rocky relationship. Yeah. I just remember I had had enough and I was ready to leave like right then and there. <laughs> yeah. 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 Uh, and so I did, it was the, it was my last tour. We were on tour with Good Riddance and I 
I, it was near halfway through the set and I obviously got upset about something and I literally just got off stage to, you know, the wings of the stage and just finished the set playing off the side of the stage. <laughs> I've been there too, man. It was not a fun ending of the tour. It was, it was, a, it was, it was, um, it was, uh, uh, two more weeks of silence. It was, it was not fun, but that was, I did. I have walked off stage before. See a lot of people that listen to this podcast, a lot of people are in bands, but a lot of people are just music fans. And I don't think they, they really grasp what it's like when you're basically living in a vehicle with somebody for months on end. And you have this relationship that's kind of volatile. It's, it's, it's unnatural. It's an unnatural way to live. Well, there was a, there was a time on warp tour where instead of being with Chris Rowe in the vehicle, because I knew that we were kind of fighting. I flew from Dallas to the next <laughs> date because I didn't want to be around my bandmates. I would have done that, man. There's a great story about uh, just to sum up the, the, this for you. And I can give you my snaps I was in Europe once and I had just, uh, I guess I had eaten these Cheeto puffs. They were these paws. Yeah. There are white cheese Cheeto puffs, and they, and I was just in the states before we left for Europe, and so this is about week three, and I'm in this van, and I'm starting to lose it a little bit, and all of a sudden, all I can crave is these Cheeto puffs. Okay. So I kind of it's like two in the morning, so I kind of stroll up to the front and I tap the driver on the shoulder and I say, "Hey, man, do you think you can pull off at some point in time to the nearest uh, truck stop?" Cause I want to get these Cheeto puffs and like in his best German accent, he kind of looks at me and he goes like, there is no truck stops. This is 2000, 2001. <laughs> yeah. And then he certainly, then he goes, and what's a Cheetos puff. <laughs> and at that moment I realized that I was not going to get these Cheetos puffs. And I started to have a meltdown. Like I can remember my brain just kind of corroding, thinking to myself, like I can't get this. And it just like, it engulfed me. Yeah. I was like stuck in this tin can with no hope of ever getting these Cheetos, which I craved. And I literally had like a nervous breakdown. And that to me sums up being in a band is that moment right there. Anytime someone asks me about grade days, summer holidays, my relationships I have with people, I always say, of course, in hindsight, man, I would have loved just to take in a five-minute deep breath, Yeah, came back in and said, who cares? We won't even remember this tomorrow, but I, you cannot in the moment. Well, yeah, and it, the thing that like, I always look back on, every band I've ever been a part of, any kind of conflict I had with anyone, like I'll bring up either the Chris Rowe thing. Chris Rowe and I are great friends and we were always had a blast playing music together, but we clashed a little bit in certain areas because we both handled some of the business and we both handled a lot of the interviews and whatnot and just different things kind of made us angry with each other. But you know, you still love the guys. You're st it's like being married to like four other dudes, you know, percent man. And I, I run into Kyle all the time. You know, at least twice a year, and and I always make sure that I say something like, you know, hey, you know, we always talk that, you know, those days are done, and obviously, you know, you can't repair the past, but you know, if I was able to look more at my life like I do now, you know, I'm sure we'd still be really good friends. Yeah. <laughs>
<laughs> so uh, I, 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 this has been an amazing chat, man. Thank you so much for coming on the show. What it's so do- cool. I love, I love talking to old uh, guys from back in the day and the punk scene, and you know, especially guys that you know you they under, you understand the whole concept about aging, being punks, and well, yeah. I mean, I I've got two toddlers. My son's three, and my daughter's two, and I'm 41 years old, and I don't tour anymore. And yeah. the, the reason I did this podcast is because. I miss that part of my life as crazy as that sounds sometimes. <laughs> yeah, I, I hear you, man. And I just wanted to be kind of, I wanted to have a way to express myself and I wanted to kind of relive those days and just get to know people that I didn't really get the chance to know when I was touring. Like I, I the first round of guests were like people I really knew and they were my really good friends. And then I just started expanding my digital Rolodex <laughs> of bands that I just really loved, you know? Yeah. Well, it's cool, man. And then, like I said, like I, I, you know, I do this now here when I, when I, on a, like I said, I side guitar. I'm like in a, in a, in a bunch of my band that I, I do that I love that, you know, that does the weddings and the corporate stuff is just, it's always expanding my, you know, when, as we get older, we, we tend to lose the, the way to, to, to connect and to make new friends. Right. Yeah. So yeah. whether for yeah. me now it's with music or with like, say I still play hockey and stuff like that, it's always about meeting new people. Cause at 40, we don't meet friends like we did when we were in our 20s right yeah like we we are friends now that we we meet now or it's a different thing it's you know we have mutual respect for one another off the hop well and that's what i think is is so cool about like when people come on this show like i wanted you to come on the show because i love the band you were a part of i love your guitar work but you know finding out that we have so much in common and we know so many of the same people and we're dads and we're still trying to <laughs> We're still trying to, you know, eke out a living with music. That's right, man. It. I just feel like, you know, if I was in your neck of the woods, we'd probably be really good friends, man. A hundred percent. Well, right I just, what were you gonna say? Sorry about that. I was gonna say just before we go, though, I do want to say I knew, I knew, I do have uh, the record label that we put Chasing Daylight on. Uh, those guys are big fans of your podcast. Okay, cool. So I just wanted to give a shout out to the Get Party Records guys who who uh, helped us with this last record. Awesome. Uh, well, yeah, I, I got to check them out. They actually did a shout out on Instagram. I'm going to see what's going yeah, on. Yeah, check out their, the label. Uh, I'm telling you, they're actually, you'll love this because they are uh, from Thunder Bay originally. Okay, yeah. Planted themselves to London. So I love anybody from Thunder Bay. That's a, that's a, that's a tough place to live, man. And um, they, it's, a, it's a tough place to find American cigarettes, too. Oh, gee, don't even go there, man. <laughs> I'll tell oh, that story I, another time. I know. Yeah. Um, but those guys are just like, you know, it, it's nowadays tough, tough, tough to kind of to, 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 to be positive about anything to do with selling records Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, just a great bunch of guys. But I know that they're big fans of, of your podcast. So well, I'll make sure to give them a, well, I do a little intro for this thing. I'll do a little, uh, a little shout out to them. I want to check their stuff out, man. That's really cool. Right on, man. So what is uh, what does the future hold? I know that you said you left it kind of open-ended, but do you have any big plans for, for that band or for anything else that you've got going on? Anything you want to plug? Um, yeah, I just want to, like, I'm just, somehow all those stuff is is is, 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 is pretty cool outlet. I, I think that what's going to happen is there's going to be, uh, like I said, some bigger shows in the future. Um, and still to make sure we do that, but also the fact that we have a, 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 a studio and everybody's kind of on board, you know, I'm kind of thinking about, you know, doing a single of the month kind of thing, you know, or, you know, just kind of creating a music in a faster pace. Yeah. Yeah. 
um, just because of the digital age and stuff like that and, and, and possibly doing like a singles kind of club or whatever and then eventually compiling them all together. But I just uh, – that to me is just, you know, the creative uh, – the creative juices haven't stopped flowing. Yeah. Just it's just finding an outlet for them, you know, with everyday life. (laughs) Have you have you considered maybe hitting Tony up? I mean, I'm not really sure. Victory's still doing stuff. They are. Oh, I just Victory had just. You're gonna love this, man. Victory was purchased. Really? For a ridiculous (laughs) amount of money. You can look this up. I can't speculate. I know what's in the. It's in a, it's in the good mid millions. Okay. Um, and it was purchased by fearless records, fearless bought victory. So a company, it's not fearless. It's a company bought up every nitro fearless. Um, I could go on. There's the list is over a hundred record labels. Wow. And what they did is they amalgamated them all into the fearless label. I don't know why they had the that label as the. Well, as the, I mean, Fearless is doing fairly well in the last few years with the releases, it. with like Under Oath and stuff like that. So they bought the entire Victory Records catalog for, and I again, I speculate in here, but I know it was at least in twenty seven, thirty million. Oh yeah, totally. Um, so Victory is so Tony is sitting on a his own island somewhere you should try to get a hold of him and see if he just wants to help you self-release something <laughs> he's got the well, money right tony you know i gotta tell you tony like he's the island guy man i don't know if anybody knows this but he was like the reggae king man like well he no loved- he, he had that world music section of victory. that's right yeah like when we we would drive down chicago with him he had this big suburban like this is how good like we were with him at one point in time like us in the front seat and he would be pumping like some crazy like Shaba ranks or something like some crazy Jamaican, like, like hard reggae music, just windows rolled down downtown Chicago. And, you know, at anybody that cared to listen, he'd be kind of, you know, you know, yelling out the window at him. Like he, that was, I think that was his real calling was reggae. So I'm sure he's in an Island somewhere enjoying, you know, I remember at some point there was some story. This was a long time ago, but Victory acquired the rights to Who Let the Dogs Out by the Baja Men. That's, that is 100% true. <laughs> I always I, thought that was great, man. I do the same thing as you do. Every now and again, I, I do like my brother is like, my brother's, uh, Mike is a, he's more into the, he, he's kind of, he's, he, you know, punk news and all that stuff. He's very, yeah. he knows what's going on. So he'll send me like little news clips every now and again. And, and, and or, or back when Victory was still, you know, about the latest lawsuit or the latest <laughs> there was a lot of those <laughs> above his name or him in this and it was always comical man because once you if you actually knew tony like i knew him yeah and you always you were kind of just like yeah i, I really like i i kind, i always really enjoyed my time with tony like i always really i thought he was like i thought he was like i know like this is but this is before everything went huge for him right yeah, this is well yeah this is like early 2000s so like the yeah. cra- the craziness with taking back sunday and thursday and all those bands hadn't really happened yet and all these bands where he was all of a sudden making like they like they had gold records and stuff like yeah. that platinum just, records with like taking platinum. back sunday and hawthorne heights man that's and see that to me is crazy those were the bands that came out later in my tenure 
they were you know, like, influenced by grade. It says right on grade's were, Wikipedia page. <laughs> And you know what I got to tell you before I leave my, my, one of my favorite victory moments ever is I met my, my, one of my favorite bands of all time was integrity. Oh yeah. I love those guys. On victory. So I, I met Dwight in Cleveland one night while we were on tour That's and awesome. it was like meeting like, you know, Glenn from the misfits or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, and, and, and we hung out all night and then we became like buddies. And then the next time I was in Cleveland, we went to a bar together and I was in the victory office one day. And, uh, one of the guys that was big, big up there, Jason, he kind of, we were doing radio, you know, you do phoners yeah, so yeah. You, in an area and you do phone interviews. We were, we were, we were, you know, promoting our new album and he taps me on the show and he goes, come in my office for a minute. So I go in my office and he goes, Dwid just called me. Uh, he wants to know if you want to join. Integrity. <laughs> <laughs> That's crazy, man. And I was like, oh my God, that is insane. There's no way I can do that right now. That is the best story. And I, I will tell that story for anybody that cares to listen now. And I was like, oh, yeah, man. Do it ask if I wanted to join Integrity? I want to join, join it. You do a European tour is what he asked. Do you want to come go to Europe with do it and do an Integrity tour? And I was just like, I would love to do that, but I can't do that. But that's my. You're that's in the my, middle of promoting a record, man. Yeah, that's victory for me in a nutshell right there, man. <laughs> Awesome. Well, Brad, I just want to thank you so much. I feel like I've made a new friend and I'm going to keep in touch and I, yep. I, I can't wait to hear more stuff, man. The four song EP is, is great. I love it. Oh, thanks, man. Yeah. We're, we're definitely going to pump up some more stuff. I've subscribed to your podcast. You've got a new fan in me as well. And, uh, let's stay in touch. Yeah. Well, Hey, and if you had a good time today on the show, leave us a nice review. I tell people to do that all the time. hundred percent. I'm going to, I'm going to, you will be the first ever podcast I review. Awesome. Well, I appreciate it, and I feel honored. And I, well, I'll have you back in the future, man. We'll keep in touch. That'd be great. Thanks, Chris. Have a great day, man. I'll talk to you later. Take care, buddy. So there it was, my conversation with Brad Kazarin from Grade and Somehow Hollow. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I did. And uh, hopefully in the future, we'll have Brad back because I think... It sounds like somehow Hollow is going to be a little bit more active now. I can't wait to get some new music. But if you haven't checked it out, you need to check out their new EP, Chasing Daylight. It's on all of the streaming platforms. You need to check it out. Their old record is on there as well, the one they released on Victory like a long, long time ago. But the new record is amazing. You need to check it out. Four songs, Chasing Daylight EP. So that's going to do it for this week's episode. Thanks to all the sponsors. Thanks to all of you for listening. Um, I am going to be doing some traveling in the next couple weeks. I am going to Oregon and a couple other places. And there might be a week or so where there isn't a new episode. If that's the case, I'm still going to maybe try to do some kind of, I don't know, a radio episode or some kind of weird like rerun type episode i don't know if you guys like listen to the conan o'brien podcast or anything like that but every once in a while they do like a rerun like they might do a new intro but it's the same thing they've already put out i don't know if i'm gonna go that far but uh there might be a couple sketchy weeks coming up and i'm i know i'm pretty much on it week after week after week i'm on it but it, it might i might there might be a couple weeks where there isn't a new one i'm gonna I'm going to be honest with you because I'm going to be doing some traveling and I don't know if I will be able to do it. But don't worry. 
I'm not going anywhere. I'm always going to be doing this. I'm, I got a bunch of guests lined up and it's going to be great. Speaking of upcoming guests, next week's episode can't get here quick enough. You're going to love it. Joe Queer from The Queers. I know some of you guys out there listen to The Queers. They're such a great band. Just that pop punk, just goodness, man. I don't know. I've, I've been listening to them for probably 20 plus years. And Joe and I just had a really cool conversation. So you're going to have to wait till next week for that. But it is coming up. Next Wednesday, my conversation with Joe King, a.k.a. Joe Queer, from the Almighty Queers. You guys are going to love it. It's going to be great. So come back next week for that. Before I jump out of here, I'm going to play music like I always do. I've got two jams coming up. First song I'm going to play is the leadoff track from Somehow Hollow's new EP, Chasing Daylight. The song is entitled Everybody's Got a Reason. And directly after that, one of my favorite grade songs from Head First Straight to Hell, Becoming Not Being. So I hope you guys are going to enjoy these tracks. Make sure you hit up Somehow Hollow on Instagram, Facebook, wherever, and tell them that you check this out and you dig what they're doing, man. They're a great band, and I hope that they just continue to kick ass. So I'll see you guys next week. As always, this is Chris. Peace!
twenty. And I see two. That's water. Hey, this is Aaron from No Simple Road. I'm inviting you to come hang out with Apple, Mel, and I as we talk with the musicians, artists, chefs, authors, and beyond from the world that turns us on. We're reaching into the improvisational music scene, the psychedelic culture, the festival world, and getting to know what makes the people tick that create those scenes. Come join us on the long, strange trip over at No Simple Road.